Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. I hope everyone's having a good May. And I didn't get a chance to shout out to all the moms on Mother's Day week. So hopefully you had a really nice Mother's Day about a week ago. And today I wanted to talk to you about looking at your contracts. What I mean is your insurance contracts. So I really believe that coders, billers, and healthcare professionals, not just our administrators and our office managers, and obviously we need to have physicians part of that discussion, but I really believe that it's important that a coder get involved and ask. You're not going to be invited to the party, so make sure you're asking your physicians if when they come up for negotiating their payer contracts, if you can be part of that discussion. And what you need to do is basically show what your value is coming to the table. I mean, there are some things within those negotiations that only you would know. You know, who's paying what, what are your, um, you know, you know, your most um, routine visits, what are your most routine services, and actually what utilization you have. So you need to do some homework before you ask that question. But a lot of times whenever I talk to providers about their contract negotiations, they only want to talk about money. And yes, that is a big part of it. But there's also some things within those contracts that go beyond the fee for service. There are certain rules when it comes to reporting. There's certain rules when it comes to um, HCCs. For our, there's certain rules with MIPS. There's certain rules with uh, bonuses and just structure. And so especially if you are an accountable care organization or an ACO, and really understanding some of those languages. If you are a large multi-specialty clinic or a hospital corporation, or if you're basically a small practice that has, you know, two to five physicians, you really need to understand what it means to negotiate those payer contracts. So we are into May, most payer contracts are on a fiscal year, and they start to really talk about negotiation uh, in June, July, August, and September. It's not really a calendar year situation. So this is the time to really look at that. So let me give you some of the tips that I would look at for successfully negotiating payer contracts. Now, I know I usually do my top 10 Tuesday on the last uh, Tuesday of the month, and we actually have five Tuesdays in May, but this is going to be considered a, a bonus top 10 Tuesday, if you will, because remember last month I didn't get to, to do that because we had some breaking news. So first of the things, uh, first thing I want to actually talk about is that many physicians, you know, really struggle with fee-for-service payer contracts because asking for higher payments, sometimes they're like, okay, this is really a futile effort and nobody's listening to us. And then you go and see what's on social media or on the news or you do your due diligence and find that, you know, United Healthcare last quarter made $2 billion in profit and they're complaining that their profits are down. And you're just thinking, you've got to be kidding me. But you need to have a very well drawn out, um, basically talking points on and data driven argument on why you deserve more revenue, um, why you want certain things within your contracts outlined in lay terms, or I like to call it simple speak so that you're not dealing with um, things that that may come back to, to get you in the end. Also look at inflation right now. 
Right now, this is the highest inflation we've ever seen. And I promise you, I will not start dealing with politics. I know that gets me into trouble. But this is this is a problem when it comes to physician practices and all of us. I mean, try to fill up your gas tank right now. But this also translates to what we're dealing with in healthcare. And so we have to look at the realities of what our contract should be. So first of all, one of the things you want to look at too is what is a reasonable payer, uh, payment increase. And so you're not, doctors that go into it saying, I want 10 to 15% increase are not going to get anywhere. The first thing you want to do is you want to, so this is number one, obtain copies of payer contracts and fee schedules. So you can't negotiate if you don't know the baseline of what you're dealing with. So use those contracts and fee schedules to maybe look at a three to 5% increase and how much actual revenue that will bring to your practice. And another reason to review current contracts is to identify and address payment variances. So maybe there's something, certain things that are below your contractual agreed upon rate. Um, some, you know, physicians didn't realize in some of the contracts I've negotiated that um, they didn't realize they that a payer never implemented a 5% increase negotiated over five years that we, you know, previously negotiated. And so I'm looking at this saying, your fee schedule, they never did what they said what they were going to do. And that's a breach of contract. So they would have to actually back pay that. So there's certain things that you, you can't know what to negotiate and what to make sure that's in writing and, and where you're at unless you get copies of these contracts. So again, like I said, we're in a fiscal year. Time to get copies of these because I think one of the biggest things that a lot of offices and practices tell me is I, I don't even know what our contract says. Well, that's a problem. You need to get a current copy. Number two would be to explore alternative payment models. So if you're as an independent physician, if you're not part of an ACO or a clinically integrated network, which is called a CIN, consider possibly joining. Okay, that means that you are collectively trying to negotiate with your peers. And that's really helpful because you you kind of have a leg to stand on. Now you can still be a standalone practice, but it's about taking advantages of and opportunities to partner with larger entities to demonstrate quality, that you're all in the same kind of payer model moving forward. And it's also an important for practices to be prepared to, sh to move and shift in the direction that will keep your businesses alive. So what you want to do versus what is important for the, the practice is something you have to look at. Number three, provide cost and quality data. So even if you're not part of, you know, some of those organizations or other type of value-based contract that requires you to capture certain quality and cost metrics, you've probably been participating in, I mentioned MIPS, so the Medicare Merit-Based Incentive Payment Program. That does require some of the same data collection. So what does your Medicare data say, data say about the care that you provide? And how can you use that data? to your advantage when negotiating with the commercial payers. Use those results as leverage. So it's beneficial for payers to have these high quality independent practices in their network, but you have to start somewhere. So my business is that I deal with a lot of smaller practices. Now I do have clients that have, you know, over a hundred physicians in their healthcare network. And then there's offshoots of practices there. But I would say 75% of my business is the little guy, basically the physician, you know, or little gal, sorry, the physician or physicians collectively that are one to 10 in a practice. And they're just trying to, you know, you know, not just stay afloat, but to be profitable as well.
Number four is differentiate yourself. And this is a really big one. When you ask for a payment increase, show the payer what value you provide compared with your local peers. So for example, is yours the only practice that offers extended business hours during the week? Or do you offer telehealth appointments on the weekends? Are you the only primary care physician in a five mile or 10 mile radius? You know, make sure you get some of that information by going to that payer's website, or you can go to an online booking service such as ZocDoc and performing a search using your zip code to see how many physicians practice nearby. So physicians may have market dominance within a few mile radius and you may not even realize it. So differentiate yourself. And when I mentioned, you know, offering extended business hours, one of the biggest complaints on any kind of patient surveys is that the practice is open, you know, eight to five or nine to five. Just like you are at work, so are our patients. So if you have a Thursday that you're open until 9 p.m., you know, have staff, uh, uh, you know, certain staff don't mind having a uh, flexible schedule. If they could come in at one o'clock and work until nine, that there's nothing wrong with that. They have their whole morning to get their errands done to, you know, do um, their own doctor's office appointments. So if you have a day where you're actually open, let's say nine to nine, believe me, that's going to set you apart from anybody. If you do just morning visits, let's say you have a nurse practitioner or PA or mid-levels and say, you know, you're going to cover our morning. We see patients from eight to 12 on Saturdays. That goes a long way. It's almost like you're your own urgent care uh, within a practice, but you're, if you're specialty, it's huge. I don't, I know very few cardiology practices or orthopedic practices that are open on Saturday. And when they are, oh my gosh, the patients love them. So differentiate yourself. That'll really help you with contract negotiations. Number five, identify your volume of active patients. So this is the number of unique patients you've seen in the past two years. That's what an active patient definition is. Remind the payer that if you can't come to a negotiated contract, remind them that your their patients are going to have to, especially at the volume, are going to go have to go out of network and the payer will need to notify patients that their designated primary care physician is no longer in network, which will make patients unhappy and have to switch physicians. And that's a lot of administrative headaches for payers and patients. So when you can show that you have a very large active volume within their contract network, especially now with the No Surprise Act, that's really a big deal. Number six, consider an escalator clause. So what is that? An escalator clause is a contract provision that guarantees a specific payment increase during a defined period. So for example, practices can negotiate a three-year contract, but build in automatic increases of let's say 1% each year. But when you look at this as an escalator clause, make sure that you hold them to it because you've heard what I said at the beginning that some payers go, oh, we forgot. Well, they need to be on top of their contract just like you need to be on top of your contract. So this is kind of a project that you need a project manager to make sure that they are also looking at the next fiscal year to show that you you, uh, reflect that increase. Number seven, perform a payer analysis. How does one's payer payment rate compare with others? So is that payer paying below market rates? If so, use de-identified information, either the average or the rate by rate to build a case for higher rates. Talk with other physicians in your local area to get a sense of their rates and, you know, just figure out where you're at so you can get 
um, benchmarks for payment rates, denial rates, and more. Um, there's nothing worse than getting a, you know, um, data after the fact. So really look at that payer analysis. And you notice I didn't just say payer rates. I'm also looking for data that reflects denial rates as well. Number eight, negotiate carve-outs for high utilization services. So for example, your practice may be able to negotiate uh, higher specific rates for office visits to maximum revenue impact. Maybe you're a practice that's oncology, and so you have a lot of level fours or fives. Maybe you are a cardiology practice that's doing valve replacement, TAVARs, or um, anything like that. Maybe you are an orthopedic practice that your focus is sports medicine, so you have a lot of knee surgeries. Figure out exactly where your uh, revenue impact is and negotiate some of those carve-outs. It's really going to make a difference. Number nine, add services to your fee schedule. So a lot of physicians now are giving COVID-19 immunizations. They are providing lab tests for these services and the codes for which may not be on your fee schedule with a specific pre-negotiated rate. They're now paying a percentage of charges, which sometimes that's lower and all you need to do is add these services to your fee schedule and you could be paid more money for performing the same service. Remember, add things that this pandemic has taught us a lot. Add things that you didn't know before um, because now it was just thrown in. Oh, we're doing this now and now it's part of just a percentage. And also, as you're looking to add services, add some contract. If, we're ever, if you're ever in a pandemic situation again and add telemedicine will be covered where you don't have to beg for it. And then number 10, know where you'll draw the line. If a payer isn't going to pay comparable rates or increases, and I like to use Medicare as my guide, that would be my lowest rate. You always have the option to leave the network with the termination and put in some uh, guidelines and dates for that. And it's basically because they won't work with you. And so it's in their best interest to work with you, just like it's in um, your best interest to work with them. But when you do negotiate an increased payment rate, Double check also that it will benefit your practice. I've seen, you know, a payer say it may say, oh, we're going to give you a 5% increase. But when you actually look at the services that you provide most often, you're actually only getting a 2%, you're actually getting a 2% cut. So it depends on the specifics of your practice. And just make sure that you are doing your due diligence. You're finding all of this information before you kind of go down that hole and say, okay, we're ready. Don't go in blindly. You need to first have that information on your table. So my coding question today comes from one of my clients actually in Southern California says, I was wondering, Terry, we have a Medicare representative where we tried to bill the 92929, which is a branch add-on code for an intervention during a stent procedure. And it's we were told by Medicare that this code is supposedly not payable, even with the correct modifier billed after the primary CPT. They were stating that this is, quote, per CMS guidelines on a different note and also never billable no matter what. Um, med what modifier we use. Can you help us out? Okay, so first of all, you have to know your payer rules. The payer is correct. You cannot bill a 92929. You can't bill any kind of add-on code for coronary intervention when you provide a coronary intervention in the major coronary artery. So the major coronary stent, for example, would be 92928. Well, 92929 would mean that 
If you were in the left anterior descending artery and then you were in a diagonal side branch, that's the same artery but a branch of that uh, major vessel. That's not billable under Medicare. Medicare has it in a B status, which is bundled, meaning you can never bill it. You're already getting paid for it. Remember the difference. I say that a lot in my coding um, seminars and webinars is that if it's in a B status, it doesn't mean it's not covered. It means you're already getting paid for it. So if you're trying to submit it, you're double dipping. But what concerns me about the question is that if you're a cardiology practice, you should already know that these codes have been out now for 11 years. This is not new information. So, and it's been bundled for that long. So really important that you know your correct coding initiative edits and that you know what is considered bundled within uh, your specialty procedures. So no, that so the payer was correct on that. That is not a billable service. Our coding question today is brought to you by Gold Bond Ultimate Skin Therapy Lotion Healing Aloe for skin that's nourished, healed, and healthy looking. Gold Bond Ultimate. Okay, so what is my personal tidbit today? <laughs> well, we've had all kinds of things going on. We know that the... Uh, the news pieces have been just interesting, um, but it's hard to kind of block out all of the noise sometimes. So I am listening to a couple of, of books on tape right now. For anybody that is trying to find a book that you're reading, I am reading right now, what is it called here? Let me pull it up. It is called The Escape Artist. And actually I'm listening to it, so it's it, I usually listen to it when I'm in my car but also at night to fall asleep. And then I have to make sure I don't fall asleep or miss something. I have five hours left, um, but it is a 21 hour. That's how long usually they tell you on a book on tape. This way I don't have to put on my reading glasses and, you know, cause my eyes hurt at the end of the day. I'm wearing about 10, 12 hours a day anyway, but try to bury yourself in a book. Something that just is, is, uh, has nothing to do with work, has nothing to do with current events has nothing to do with just some of the the nonsense that's going on right now in, in the world and in the country and stay off social, social media just try to and I've had to be very disciplined because it makes me angry right now to be on social media and so I just have to get off it only thing I do is post my my podcast post any kind of blogs that I'm putting out there for information and by the way please check out my website I have some new updates on my article site uh, which also is considered our blogs um, but just try to tune it out. And if you can do a book on tape, if you can just bury yourself in a regular book, which I do both, but if you just feel like you want to sit back, close your eyes and, and bury in a book, there are the books on tape. And I, I just love that option. So again, right now I'm reading Brad Meltzer, The Escape Artist. And I it's a thriller, so you definitely not weak at heart, but it's it's a really good book. I like it. All right, everyone. Hope you're having a great May and I will talk to you next week. So make it a great day and thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma, music producer Assassin Music. <laughs>